I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Live from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Today, we welcome former Gonzaga Bulldog, L.A. Laker, and Team Canada star, Robert Sacre. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. In a normal world here on uh, Wednesday, November the 4th, we would be talking about the first week of the NBA. The action would have been underway probably for 10 days by now. But as we all know, the world right now is anything but normal. But fortunately, things things are set up here in uh, the Jim Rats, and, Jim Rats and Joint Studio. Andy Routens is here. Javon Shepard is here. And our producer, Dan Wong. And as Mr. Jeff Cole just introduced, we are thrilled to be joined all the way from Spokane, Washington, by Mr. Robert Sacre, a former professional basketball player. He played with the Lakers. Uh, you probably would also remember him from his days uh, with Gonzaga, uh, an outstanding college team in the NCAA and especially in March Madness, and also with Team Canada. Robert, Rob, we are so happy you uh, you can join us today. Welcome to the show. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to be on here, man. Good. <laughs> that That is what we like to hear. I, I would love to start off by hearing how you know both both of my partners here, Shep and Andy. When did you first meet them? What was playing basketball like with these guys? And what was life like off the court? First day I met Shep, he was my roommate uh, <laughs> in Toronto. And, uh, yeah, that was an interesting mix right there. <laughs> <laughs> and did you guys Andy, meet at I training camp the first time? Andy play when, uh, yeah. I think I was like 14, 15 years old. Oh, don't age me uh, like that, Rob. Come on. Guelph. I remember that. It was some, I, I can't remember what it was for. It was some Canada basketball deal, but I remember meeting Andy out there, but I was like a little buck, so I can't, I can't tell you much more about that, but Andy's <laughs> been a shooter. I got to play with him. Where did we play, man? We played, let's see, 2010. We were getting ready for the World, World Games, World, World Games, Championship, yep. and uh, yeah, I remember we were at training camp in the, uh, in the Raptors practice facility at uh, the ACC. Their yeah. old practice facility. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we had yep. some. Was, hey, what, hey, Chef, were you my roommate during we that time? We were roommates. We've been, I think every year we play for the national team, we've been roommates. But I try to get away from you every year. <laughs> every year I try to get away from you. The laws of attraction, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, this, was, this was under Coach Leo Routens, correct? The Leo Routens, yep. yeah. Okay, so the Leo Routens. And, and uh, Rob, I, I don't expect that you would know this, but I was working with, with Leo in you know television uh, broadcast for many years and he was one of the first people who 
mentioned your name to me when you were really young, maybe even before you got to Gonzaga or maybe after your first year. But I know that he um, he was very high on you and wanted you to be on that team. So, Andy, can you talk a bit about um, when you first met this guy, when you first heard of him, and you know what what you saw from him? Obviously, there's a ton of personality mm-hmm. here, but also as a basketball player. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I think that makes two of us that have no recollection of the Guelph experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember Rob coming. Uh, he pulled up to camp, and uh, just an absolute specimen. I mean, what six eleven, seven foot. Uh, and I, the first thing that distinctly jumped out at me was, was his tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I think you've added to the collection since then. No, this is a, this is a, a completely positive thing. I, I love all your tattoos. Uh, no, no, I'm a, I was a huge fan. I was like, this guy's got, what, what did you have? DMX, Mike Tyson. Tyson. You have Snoop Dogg too, right? Snoop, yes. I mean, like, I mean, like, super hyper realistic, like, big tattoos, and I love that. And, uh, yeah, where did you, where did you get all your work done? Man. I've done it from Spokane to Japan, brother. I, <laughs> it's been all over. I can't wow. tell you. I've done it from my. I've been on the road in Denver, and I had people come in my hotel room. I've had uh, Spokane. I've had. I've been in Okinawa. I had my tattoo artist out there. Oh wow! Yeah, I just like artwork, man. And yeah, for I sure. just like to represent myself and. I'm not done. I'm working on my legs as we speak. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Shep, I, we're learning here that uh, you and Rob were roommates, it sounds like, for, for many summers. Yeah. What, what, what's it like <laughs> when you first meet a guy who you're going to be playing basketball with, you're going to be traveling the world with, and on that first day, you're told, okay, you're, uh, you're bunking with this guy? You know, it's funny. I think we the first time I, I even ran into Rob and... I, w- I opened my r- hotel room door, and at that point, like I had a couple years under my belt. You know, AR, we, we're the big guys on campus. Yeah. Whatever the case of me, I opened or my so door. We think. But Rob has like this big personality, so I popped the door open. He's from the West Coast, so he probably came in a day or two earlier, and he's looking at me. What up? <laughs> what? Hold on, slow down. Turn, tone, tone, turn your voice down. Big energy. Use your inside voice first of all. <laughs> he's like, he just goes into his his whole big personality. I'm Rob Gonzaga. I'm like, listen, I'm I'm Shep. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm from. I do this. Like, I'm from Toronto. I, you li- you're gonna follow my lead. But he wasn't having none of that. Yeah. Like the whole uh, none of that. I, that. I, I remember. On, I was like, who the hell is this? Like, he, who the hell does he think he is? But that relationship turned into, like, we text, we joke. We To this day, like, we're, we're relatively close. I try and keep it's him weird. at a distance. Cause it's, he, little, it's a little too weird how <laughs> close we are now. Even, I think there was one summer where he said he's not coming into camp unless we're roommates. And like, <laughs> like that, was, that was his actual rule. Like, that's what he, so I remember, um, and this is, like, in the first couple of days of, of meeting him, like, this guy's seven foot you know, taking up the whole room just everywhere, playing his music loud as shit. He has tattoos everywhere. I'm like, what the hell did I sign? What is this? Where, where is, I think, where's Matt York? Get me out of here. If, right? there's, if there's one thing you can count on, though, it's the good vibes, though. Right. Every day you showed up at the gym, he brought the energy. Uh, and I think we actually fed off that more often than not. The only problem was that I was always scared because at 12 o'clock, I need to shut it down. But he looks he looks like he's one of these guys. He's going to go right back 24 hours, and he's going to be okay. For I sure. can't do that anymore. <laughs> That's why you had to shut it down, man. Too many, too many benders. Yeah. And then, it, you know, there's also the competitive side. I remember him telling me one of the days we're walking to the gym, and he's telling me, uh, this is maybe one of the first two days. 
he's telling him he's he's thinking about leaving school or he's gonna leave next year. In my head, I'm thinking leave and go where? Like I don't like where, big dog. Like if anybody's going to the league, it's me. And all, you know, you know the nature of this thing. Like we're all competitive. We For all sure. think we're we're the number one. Like we are the you the know guy. the, the, the yeah. guy, like yeah. the chosen one. Mm. He said, I think I'm thinking about leaving school next year. Leaving school? I'm not leaving school. Where are you transferring to? Like where are you transferring to? <laughs> so I think that's what I asked him. Where are you transferring to? He said, Not to the league. I said, oh, no, big dog. Not there's, before there's, me. There's but. no doubt you had the, uh, the numbers. <laughs> right. It's all about confidence, what you believe in, man. There you go. It's all about what you believe in. <laughs> well, he, he did get a few years in the league, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I, I would love to start with you, Rob, um, about your retirement from basketball. And you've, you've been out of the game for about a year now. Coming off of, of a career that saw you play in the NBA, saw you play abroad, what have you been up to in this, you know, this last year or so and especially this crazy 2020 oh man i'm just getting better that's the best part about all this i just finished up my masters at oh, Gonzaga. Nice. Um, i'm helping out fundraise over there and um, I'm, I'm building my own excavation company man wow good for you yeah, Hold on, say it again. What, did, what did you get your You're masters in rob serious? No, I never take life serious. <laughs> but, but I, you know, uh, I finished my master's in athletic administration, and okay, um, you know, I, I'm I'm helping out in the athletic department at Gonzaga, and uh, I've been venturing off, creating my own little company over here, and just keep building, man. It can't stop. It seems like, like I uh, never stop. Yeah, you can it, only go forward. It seems it seems like the Gonzaga community is pretty close knit. Uh, are there other other former Gonzaga Bulldogs around uh, trying to stay within the uh, the organization? I would, I would say from the '99 run, uh, when they first like got on into the tournament and everything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's probably I would say from that team all the way to my class, everyone's pretty much moved back. Mm-hmm. So runs are still like competitive and like people yeah. still want to play and yeah. I, the community just embraces everybody here and everybody wants to help you uh, help a zag out. So um, it's been it's been great to be back and it's a little crazy down here for sure. But it, there's no no other place I want to be right now. Hey, yeah. Maybe Vancouver. But speaking of the zag community, don't you you live doors from was it Adam Morrison? Correct. I don't live doors, but I live about ten minutes away. Yeah, yeah. you remember that? He was a legend. That he was a legend. He was he an still, absolute still bucket. Does he still, still get is. it? He was a bucket. Does he still get one? If guys call him out, like if someone starts talking shit to him, uh, like at the bar or something, he'll be like, <laughs> he'll be like, he'll be like, put fifteen. I'll put fifteen hundred down right now. Let's go. Okay, Let's go. come on. Would you put your money where your mouth is? He'll bust someone's ass right there. We had some bands too. Yo, what's been the toughest? Because you know, Andy and I, we always have these conversations, and some of the other guys that have played with us um, along that transition. Have you found it tough, or like you're somebody that's always been positive, always have a have a real infectious energy? Mm-hmm. But how have you been able to navigate that transition? Because it seems seamless. Well, I think you guys know it's it. For me, I had to make a decision whether I wanted to be uh, keep playing overseas or um, just be with my kids and my family. So that was kind of the the icebreaker for me on that. So I decided to just be dad. And I remember trying to discipline my son over in Japan, and he was over here, and he wasn't having it. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> Boy, 
I wish I could get my hand through the screen so I could work <laughs> your ass right now. So I realized, you know, I needed to I needed to be more in their lives, you know. And um, for that, I, I I think you guys know you just can't look back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the key that's the killer, about all sure. of this is like. Once, once you make that decision, don't look back and don't feel bad or uh, just be proud of your, your career. And um, that, for me, was the biggest thing for me. Like, I use this metaphor, you know, when you're driving a car, you're not looking in the rear view mirror when you're driving. You're looking in the windshield. <laughs> That's go. why the windshield's always bigger than the rear like view. <laughs> a little, uh, little philosophy little from, our, from our guest, philosophy. Robert Sacre here. Yes. Great to hear it. You know, Rob... I I didn't come into uh, this conversation really knowing much about the Japanese league. You, you hear about the Chinese league, you know basketball is is super popular in Asia and in that part of the world. But I know literally nothing about the Japanese league. What can you say about it in terms of the caliber of play or or the way the fans um, celebrate professional basketball in that country? Well, <clears throat> right before I got there, they had merged two leagues into one major league, the B League, and um, it's been it's been great. I, I think the fans are super supportive. It, it, they really are putting Japanese basketball on the map a little bit, but um, it's definitely a place where bigs go. Mm-hmm. You know, throughout this whole transition of basketball, you know, basketball goes in different phases. And I think the big man has kind of died off, and especially in, in uh, America and Canada and North America. So the big man kind of migrated to Japan. They don't have bigs like that. So I was battling guys 350 pounds, and I was like, <laughs> where am I? Like, it was a, it was a different animal over there. It, Nick Fazekas is over there. From Nevada, my guy Jawad Williams is out there too from North Carolina. That's a big boy. Yeah, yeah. I played him in Paris. And he's he, strong. He is uh, brute force. Uh, Josh Smith from UCLA. You remember that big boy? He, Josh he was pushing four hundred pounds when I was playing him. It, Wasn't Josh Smith a wing? No, you're thinking of Josh Smith from Atlanta. I'm talking about the. the he was a younger Josh Smith. He played in. Uh, he went to UCLA and uh, Georgetown. Got you. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's over there, and all these bigs are all out all in there and like um it's highly competitive when it comes to big man basketball and guess what they dump that ball in and you get as many touches as you want so <laughs> your guy uh, alex kirk is out there too as well right yep, yep. alex kirk yep. he won i believe he won two championships out there right yeah no it's uh it definitely made a transition into a pretty formidable league I know they're starting to hand out some good paychecks out there. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rob, I was just wondering, you know, in all your time over there, if you gave any thought or or if you've ever gotten over that second-round exit in Buffalo to uh, the Syracuse Orange. Whoa. I was just curious if you you got over that. How did we get there? How did we get there? It just felt – I just needed to get it off my chest. I wanted to check in with you, you know. I see you dabbing your, your forehead with the towel now that I've asked you. Just, just kind of curious about how that went. How was that dunk on you? I can't remember. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I remember that in that game. That was a fun game, though. Oh, man. we're going to have to look that up. Was, was, Kelly o, was Kelly O playing that time? Kelly he was o. young. He was young. Kelly was on the team. He played about. He played sparingly. He played sparingly. You guys had uh, Matt Bolden. 
Uh, Elias Harris was there as well. Yep. Baby yep. Sack, right? Making an appearance. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. My daughter wants to be in, in every every aspect. Now, get out. <laughs> out. Don't even make no noise. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i be right back, boys. All right. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> okay. we'll let Rob uh, attend to some family duties, and we'll, we'll keep going here. While uh, we're talking about the time you played – Gonzaga. Did did Michigan ever play Gonzaga in in your day when uh, Rob would have been on the other no, team? We didn't. I didn't get to play Mich- um, Gonzaga or um, Syracuse. Syracuse is actually my dream school. Gonzaga. But I, I played. I, hey, we. I played with Manny Harris though. Manny, that's my guy. Manny, I played with my last year in Turkey in Bacchusier. He's one of my favorite people. Man. Yeah, Manny's my quiet guy. killer, so quiet assassin, quiet as ever. Quiet as ever. He's he's from the hood, bucket though. Bucket getter. But yeah, he gets absolutely. a bucket. He gets a bucket by any means. <laughs> by any means. That's my guy. He was actually, when I was at Michigan my last two years, you know, Manny and, and myself are actually really, cl- really close as well as mm-hmm. Deshaun. I always end up attracting, like, you know, your types, Rob. Like, you're, you know, you're living out, uh, life on the edge. Manny, <laughs> I played with Manny when he, he had a call up in uh, L.A. And okay. I mean that dude can score. He can just go, like, yeah. and he plays bigger than he actually he is. is. Yeah. Like, and you think because he's wired? At he's... Michigan, I thought he was like six seven, no, nope. six six, no, six five. And you know, you're he's, being generous. He's he's frail, but he just knows he's how to a, score. He's a bully, He's not necessarily though. a shooter. He doesn't necessarily handle it the best. <laughs> yeah, but. If you want a bucket and if in crunch time, yeah. he knows how to get it. Was that yes? Who was on your team that year when when he got that call up? Dude, I can't, bro. I you know, you know what I also saw in LA. I couldn't tell you who, what year came through. Did you who, see where when? I think that was uh, my second year. So we had who was on that team. That was like the Jalen year, right? With uh, I, I believe Jalen was the next year. He okay. wasn't. Yeah, Jalen was my third year, but. He was uh, Manny. Manny came up with Dan Tony. Yeah, that's what that was that year. That makes okay. sense. That makes sense. Did you get to see? They had you all over those memes when the the Lakers won, saying they've gone through so much tough times, the dark years that that are, are behind them. They had you posted up. Backing down, I can't remember who it was. Turn oh, around, Baines, bro. That, I, was, I remember that, and they got the little air ball. Yes. Oh man, I was just trying to hit him as hard as possible. By the time I took that, threw that shit up, that thing was—I was limp. <laughs> okay, I, I'm I'm glad uh, the Lakers have come have come up in the conversation, and you know, Rob, I'll, I'll just. I'll put it out there. You, you played your four or five seasons with the Lakers. Kobe Bryant was your teammate. Yeah. And uh, this this calendar year of 2020, which has had um, challenges, to put it mildly, for almost everybody, probably on the face of the earth, it really started with uh, the terrible news of the passing of Kobe Bryant and the helicopter accident in California. Um, I, I'd like to start... By by asking you where you were when you heard the news, and obviously he was your teammate, your friend. Um, how were you? How did you process something like that? You know what's crazy about that whole situation was um, earlier that week because it was like a, it was on the weekend, I believe. And uh, yeah. earlier that week, I had done a podcast and I was really sick. And I did a podcast for one of my friends and he begged me, hey, can you do this podcast? Can you do this podcast? 
said, man, I don't feel good. He goes, no, I need you to do this podcast. So I did this podcast. I ended up talking about Kobe that day, and um, and and I, he got a hold of it. He got a hold of it. He listened to it, and then he retweeted it on Twitter. Wow. Hmm. And and like started, he followed me back, and I hadn't talked to him in about three years, four years. And he had retweeted it, and it was his third to last tweet before he passed away. Wow. Really? That's crazy. So now, anytime I open up my Twitter, I always see his Twitter come up because people are always retweeting that whole that, that retweet. That, wow. Okay. So it's it was really weird. It was like that, then something about Iverson, and then LeBron, and then that, and so since then, it, I I always get reminded. Like it was just a weird time, mm-hmm. but it was a. It wasn't. It didn't feel real at the time because you know people come out with these hoaxes and all that. So you kind of thought it was a hoax, and and then all of a sudden my phone just went. It started blowing up. Bing, 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 bing. And I was like, "Damn, dude!" Like it. It, it just it, it. It was weird because it, you didn't think he was like Superman, man. Mm-hmm. And you didn't think it was. You didn't think he ever was going to die because the things he just that's just his mindset like he was just a a different he was just a different dude man and to think that a helicopter took him and and what's so crazy about it is a helicopter him was uh, to him was like uh driving a car day to day that was nothing like he would come to he'd come to practice on in a helicopter he would like as soon as we land on the tarmac the helicopter would start taking off we'd hear that started and he'd walk from the plane right to his helicopter wow and we'd while we getting in the cars seeing it's <laughs> like what is going on here so it was just a it was a surreal moment at that point in time man what was uh what was your relationship like with kobe um, you oh, know, prior to we that, were, what kind we of human cool, was he? Man. Yeah. I had I had a really good relationship because I, uh, I, I you know, I don't, I'll say whatever to anybody. <laughs> so like, I, I didn't hold back with him. I remember, uh, yeah, and he respected me for it because I remember he always would test you. And I remember the first day I met him, uh, I, I was introducing my, I, I talked to Nash and Nash was talking to me. That was our first year and we were talking and Cole walks into the locker room and uh, he looks at me and then starts talking back to Nash and not even pay attention to me. He's like, <laughs> oh, another rookie, whatever, you know. But um, thinking about it all, we had a great relationship. You know, I was able to cuss him out a couple times and talk and it, for me, you can ask anybody. I would talk mad shit to him all the time. I never wanted to be on his team just for that fact. <laughs> I like to talk shit up to him the whole practice. So, so you stirred him up, but he's, you know, tell oh, me yeah. what's what's the biggest thing you've learned from, or you would have learned from him, or, or the most something that stuck out that would have been most impressive that you could say, you know, that memory sticks with you for forever. So could have learned Dude, or just an experience. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest key in life and being successful in any aspect and anywhere you want to go is if you start feeling sorry for yourself, then you're not going to go anywhere. And he really embodied that. And and like I tell people, um, there were guys who would work out with him at four in the morning. And this dude was so OCD. They, I know guys would come back and be like, dude, I, they, they wanted to work with Kobe and they loved working out with Kobe, but it would be so boring. 
And I say that in the fact that, like, <laughs> you would shoot the same shot where it'd be like a jab step shot or, or turn around, you know, but you'd shoot that shot for an hour. Wow. Just straight. <laughs> just fine. Nothing else. Yeah. That was your whole workout. Wow. So you just have to get your mind to like really comprehend of just just jab shot and it, same spot for an hour, wow. and that was your workout. So it's hard to comprehend how to like like you know guys want to work on all sorts of stuff, but nah, he would just like OCD same shot same like just consistently over and over and over, and guys would be like, dude, it's it can be boring with mm-hmm. this guy, but. That's what made him so great was just that consistency of the same thing. And that's why he never thought he was going to miss the next shot because he made that same shot over and over and over again. It's uh, amazing for me always. I think I always say this to hear professional basketball players talk about what they saw in other players and to hear you describe first firsthand relating to Kobe being on the court with him playing with him being a teammate even even getting in his face and it 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 feels to me like Kobe was larger than life obviously to a fan like myself but it sounds like he was even to the players on the court uh, you were there for his last game am i right so oh, yeah. so that night his swan song from the NBA scores 60 points, I think 25 of them in the fourth quarter against the Utah Jazz to win the game. And then I think he did a speech at the end of the game and dropped the mic and that was it. Can you explain that moment? What it was, what was going on? What was in your heart watching all of that happen with a literally a front row seat? Well, it was, it was surreal, you know, like to know that you played with one of the greatest of all times and, um, to be a part of that was it, it was a surreal moment, and to just because he started off rocky at that game, no one talks about that. But he started <laughs> off; he was like one for eight, or you know, he we were like, oh boy, this is going to like be that. rough. And then he turned it around. Like I said, he, he knew that every time he shot the ball, the next time it was going in, mm-hmm. and so that was his mindset. And then, like, like you said, sixty points and. It was just rolling for him after that, and um, like I I go back, it was just a surreal moment to think about. I think, you know, the most impressive thing for me when we're on Kobe, we always know, we know his body of work, we know what he does on the court, but I think one of the lasting memories I'll have is, you know, when he tore his Achilles. Like, he got Mm. up, like, he, he looked at his foot, got up, shot free throws, and walked off the court like nothing happened. Like That, you know, a moment like that for me is why when I when I when the news broke that he was in a helicopter crash, I thought he was immortal. Because right, yeah. no, you're you're one hundred percent right. He like comes you back he was from, like a superhuman. Right, he comes back from everything and anything. So you know that moment for me, we all you know his accolades are one thing, championships, what he's accomplished on the floor, eighty one against the Raptors, um, everything that he's done basketball wise. But I think it's moments like those that you think, wow, like this. This guy is is superhuman. I, I remember meeting him as well when I was at playing in the Hoop Summit, and you know, it was like there was a halo over uh, over his head. Everybody like this aura, this, this aura, like right, aura right, right. <laughs> so it's yeah, those memories. Basketball is one thing, but I think that image, that 
that moment is going to stick in my head for forever just because I, and I'm still expecting him to bounce back. I'm still expecting to see Kobe tomorrow or no you know, him sitting at the Lakers game. Well, and I think, and that's the thing, like guys, you got to get over when you play with him and you got to get over that aura. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, like you can't, you can't keep him in that superstar light forever. Um, I don't know how to describe. Yeah, you keep, can't put him uh, on that pedestal because at mm-hmm. the same time, it's your it's your teammate, and you guys are competing for a better good. Right. And, and you know, right. in your case, there's times where you had to check him, and I'm sure vice versa. But if none of that is done, I also don't think he's he'll, he's the great that he is today. Oh, I I'll, I checked him one time. You have you have some audacity though. Got some like, major stuff. Like, major like, Who the hell are you? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Yeah, exactly. So I'll tell. I'm gonna cuss <laughs> on this show too. So I uh, we were playing the Mavericks. And uh, he goes, we're at the free throw line. He goes, hey, Zach, yo, I need you to, I need you to inbound the ball quick. So I'm like, all right, man. Okay. So he made the free throw. I, I, we had like, it was the end of the, it was like, the, I can't remember, end of the first quarter, I believe. I ran in, took the ball out, and he did this like, he knew he was wrong too. <laughs> he knew, he, he did like this juke, but. I threw it right to Jay Crowder. <laughs> Jay Crowder had so we went to the bench later on that day, and uh, I said, "Hey, Cole, you know, you know that that play you just got me. You can, you can go fuck yourself." <laughs> because, <laughs> I was like, "You can go fuck yourself because you know what? You made me look stupid, and you know what? He knew he was in the wrong. You know, everybody knows how to." inbound and outlet all that type of sure. stuff and he knew he was in the wrong and he just tapped me on my he, he just laughed he that's all we could do at that point so <laughs> he got he get it he you know he he, he was like he understood your, your your frustration and everything and and uh you know i, I i'm i'm grateful to be able to say i played with him for and sure i learned so much from him and like i said uh the biggest thing i also learned was like you know if you're gonna go one for five might as well go one for 50. <laughs> I like that mentality. It's all going to be shitty any which way, yeah, you know? Yeah. So might as well go shoot to light, shoot to the end. That's all I thought. So I definitely, I used that when I went over to Japan and I, mm. I really used that like, Hey, if I'm going to have a bad game, well, shit, I might as well go one for 50. For sure. <laughs> I, I was, that's a nice segue. I was going to ask you, uh, cause I know there, there are some, major changes going from NBA life to playing overseas and how, how was your experience was it seamless in terms of uh, the lifestyle change in terms of practice in terms of travel um, how did it prepare you uh, and, and did you take anything um, from any of the other guys on the team because I, I see you played along the likes of the Anton Jamisons the Dwight Howards Meta World Peace was there uh, did they give you any kind of nuggets that you took with you um you know, I had my first year, I had a lot of vets and like, it's, it's crazy to look at how basketball has kind of evolved to a real young man's game. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to discredit like these guys that are coming in, but when I came in, I would say probably 70% of the team was over 30, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and now I wouldn't even say the league is 
the average age is probably what 25 you know Mm -hmm. so it was a man's league when i definitely came in and i learned a lot of how to be a professional and how to carry yourself and i tried to bring that over in japan but you know they gave me a bike to ride to practice (laughs) (laughs) were you close to the gym at least uh-huh. Were you close to the gym? Was your apartment close yeah, to the gym? Yeah, I was like least? a 10-minute bike ride to practice. Wow. So I, I had a bike in, in where I was. They didn't feel like you needed a car in Tokyo. So um, that was fine. I'm, I was in downtown Tokyo, hey, to, so I couldn't trip. To, to be fair, Vince Carter used to ride his bike to, uh, to ACC in the early days when it was nice out. Joe Carter used to ride his bike to the Sky Dome all the time before Jay's game. So, hey. You know, yeah. pretty well, good for the environment. Uh, I, was, I was in shape no matter what. <laughs> hey, brother, you got to tell me something. So with all that living, you know, Lake Show, living in L.A., being in the NBA, and, you know, pretty much being at the, the pinnacle of basketball, mm-hmm. how how the hell did you remain so, I don't want to say humble because you're definitely not humble. but <laughs> Yourself. How did, how did you stay, how did you stay yourself? Because that guys, I see a lot of guys that can get they get lost in that they get oh, lost you, in the, and you. I played with those guys too. It's right. easy, it's easy, and yeah, I think that's in the NBA in general. Like you guys have all, we've all played there, and or you know, and and um, it's you you got to know who you are. I think before you can get into that, and like I said, it was a men's league. It was a man's league when I got in there, so um, you know there wasn't any like grab ass and you know playing around <laughs> goofy and around you know what i mean it was like all right we're here for a job and then all right we're all going to go our separate ways and go to our families and i think the the for me i just man i just like to chill bro i, I ain't about <laughs> all that hype and, uh, unapologetic I, for yourself i was love that, that cocky but at the same time I, i'm i'm not into the whole glamour and all that type of stuff was either. that chilling why what, what did you do did you go buy some cows or something how did that start about half a cow I, I still have I, I buy half a cow every year man <laughs> how, do you, how do you buy half a cow i go to my buddy he he has a couple steers and <laughs> go and and Put a half a cow in my freezer. Uh-oh. Take that, <laughs> take that, take that That's bad boy life, to baby. the butcher, and you know, take okay. it to the freezer. Yeah. Um, Rob, we. Uh, I want to ask you one more question, and then uh, we're going to let you go because the Zoom call is going to end. But uh, first of all, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with us today, and uh, it's, it's great. It, it was for you, definitely. It was you <laughs> and Andy it. who really pushed me to do this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we were on your case big time. I know, I, I, know. I know. But I we we uh, we are grateful that you, you took the time. I, I I just want to end with this because I I've been following college basketball really almost all my life, and you know Syracuse, Michigan. You were hearing about them from the beginning. Um, those major programs and then all of a sudden I think earlier you said 1995 maybe around then is is when it's it turns and Gonzaga becomes a powerhouse in college basketball and that hasn't changed we've seen other mid-major programs kind of come and go I, I think of Butler I think of Wichita State but Gonzaga's always there what what is it about that program is it is it the coach is it the area where it is is it the way the 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 players are treated why has it been able to be this one mid-major program that stands um at the at the top ground of college basketball 
Well, first and foremost, I would definitely say it was Coach Few. Mm-hmm. Um, Coach Few, he's the most introverted human being you can meet, but at the same time, you know, he he embodies family, he embodies uh, hard work, and and going back to what like Kobe is, he not being a victim, you know. Um, his biggest line was, don't make anthills into mountains. So don't make things bigger than they already are, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 or what they are. And, uh, and, and I, I guess this would answer Shep's question too. Like Spokane is our Gonzaga is to Spokane as LA is to the Lakers or Lakers to LA. Right. You know, so you're, you're, you're on a pedestal as soon as you walk on Spokane ground, like everybody, you're, you're a star. And so you kind of, you embody that too, and you embody the community and it's just all the way around. I think it's a great program and uh, I don't see coach few leaving anywhere. Uh, He's had offers. I know he's had multiple offers for a lot more than what he makes now. And he's always turned it down because it's not about that. It's about what, you know, he, uh, Spokane and Gonzaga and what he's built, and he's proud of that. And I think I, I'm proud to say I'm a Zag. Well, that that's great to hear, and I appreciate you answering the question. Um, we'll uh, we'll let you go, Robert Sacre, former Los Angeles Laker, Gonzaga Bulldog, Canadian national team member, and an All Star player in Japan. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll hope to catch up with you again soon. Well, I'll leave you with this: chicks dig it, dudes respect it. <laughs> okay mic drop Th- thank you so much to robert sacre and yeah that was absolutely uh sacre out uh let's take a minute and recognize our sponsor henderson brewery located in downtown toronto the best beer is the beer you love and uh, special thanks to them for for sponsoring our show I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You know, uh, Andy and Shep, while uh, Robert Sacre is on the mind here, we, we've let him go. We didn't really have time to get into Canadian national team, but you guys were, you know, we alluded to, to you playing alongside him, and the, the 2010 World Championship, World Cup, really comes to my mind first. Uh, Shep, why, why don't I start with you? Maybe explain to us what he was like as a player. He would have been a, a really young guy at that time. But how did he contribute to that squad that, that played in that world championship in Turkey? I think, you know, his personality, just like you guys seen, it says enough. He's always been a great teammate. And if you mm-hmm. even date back to when he was with the Lakers, that was something that you could stay consistent. He was always on the bench cheering for mm-hmm. guys and, and, you know, brought pulled guys together so he, he just has that type of infectious personality I think you know going you know dating back to 2010 in the world championships I think he was a little green behind the ears at that time mm-hmm. um, and there was a lot of there was a lot of growing for for which most of us had gone through I think the unfortunate thing for him or or 
I shouldn't say unfortunate, but a, just a part of the growing process is that everybody's seen his size, everybody's seen, you know, his natural ability and mm-hmm. assumed that assumed that he was just going to come in and dominate, you know, the world championships. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he turned became a great player. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that year was just a great learning experience, a great learning curve. Um, he definitely contributed. Was he frustrated at times with uh, the amount of playing time and so forth? Mm-hmm. I, I believe so, but it was more like we all went through the experience and just mm-hmm. just growing so yeah i mean when you get to the international stage there's there's a there's a learning curve um on how to play the game the physicality that the game is played with um and he was a specimen like i said he, he was a banger he had a high motor um and i and i think that his attitude was infectious i mean he carried us a lot of days in practice for sure uh, he picked us up in times when we were struggling during the game um, and I think those are the glue guys that you need on the team. Uh, and, and, and I think that showed, like you said, in L.A., um, you know, maybe the one thing that the coaching staff or, or Coach Routens that, that wanted out of him more was, was to be more physical, to use his body. And I don't think he knew his own strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was more than capable. He was a capable scorer as well. Just to see him be more aggressive and, 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 uh, and bring that physicality and, and scoring prowess to the game. And in all fairness, it's a different game. It's a completely it different culture of basketball. Especially right? from college. Exactly. I mean, college is nonstop, helter-skelter. You know, 35 seconds are just buzzing around with no real structure. And the irony is, like, you know, we probably expected more physicality out of him or coach maybe wanted more physicality out of him. But, you know, to somebody like myself, I found college extremely physical. Mm -hmm. Whereas, So it's it's just different ways of applying that physicality, applying that strength because he dominated. He dominated college and he probably one of the strongest players, some strongest bigs. in Division One throughout his 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 collegiate career, so yeah. it's just it's just that just goes to show you know the different styles, the different philosophies of, of basketball, different cultures of basketball throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And you know when you're on that world stage at the at the um, World Championships, you have to be able to adapt to do many different styles of play. So it's just and again that's why you see the most the teams that are most successful in international play are teams that have veterans mm-hmm. that have experience on on that on that platform on that level for sure um, for years upon years. One thing that really stands out for me about Rob is the the Canadianness and the Americanness, yeah. All, that, that can American thing. Swiss Army knife. Man. That uh, we don't, you know, it's kind of rare. You don't really talk about that much, but if you look at this room that we're in, you you have ties, deep roots to both countries yourself. Mm-hmm. Our producer Dan Wong has has family ties to Virginia. Shep, you went to college and mm-hmm. lived in Michigan for four years. Even I went to school for two years in in Charlottesville, Virginia. What what can we learn about the experience of having that kind of background and that kind of understanding of people from both countries? We know there's differences there. There's mm-hmm. different ways of thinking. There's different laws. Different governance. What 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 is the character or the soul of somebody who maybe has both countries in their blood? I mean, that's a great question. I would say that as a player, I think Canadians are known as the nice guys. Mm-hmm. You know, guys who don't want to step on anybody's toes, who who kind of want to, you know, be more of a a, a, a Robin to a Batman. Um, and I think that ultimately hurt a lot of guys when they got to a professional level because they're not used to, you know, you know growing up in America, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You know, if you're the top guy in Canada at a certain point, you know, you really don't have too many challengers and you come out thinking that, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy. But in America, it's kind of like 
there's another guy and then there's another guy. So you kind of start deferring once you get to the professional level. Um, but now you're seeing guys like the new wave of Canadians who know that Canada is a basketball country now. Mm-hmm. It's uh, For me, it's, it's far surpassed hockey. Mm-hmm. I think that basketball has taken over here wow. and it's going to be the number one sport going forward. And these Canadian kids, the RJs, the Shies, uh, Anthony Bennett's who mm-hmm. drafted number one, I think that they know that Canada is a powerhouse and they know that um, they're able to take you know, they're not, they're not just, they're no longer just Canada, you know, America's neighbor. They're, they're a factory of basketball producing athletes now. And I can attest to that, the same sentiments that Aaron is expressing there, because I'm, I'm myself, now that I'm mature and I'm able to look back and see it's a prime example. I went into, you know, the University of Michigan, this was before my professional career, University of Michigan, thinking like, I'm the man, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I, I got there and skill wise, physically I was, but mentally I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like those guys were, like you said, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Mm-hmm. When they know that there's a big fish coming in, there's a bullseye, there's a target on their back. For sure. And it's, you know, they're there to eat. Yeah. You know, and they eat on the court. You can all, everybody's cool off the court. Mm-hmm. But for them, you know, at that point, we didn't understand that Division One basketball, Division One sport is actually a business. So oh, I thought sure. I was going into college and I was just going to dominate and go on to the pros. Right. They, they seen me or seen what I was coming in with and said, mm-hmm. no, like, you're, you're not coming here, especially mm-hmm. on our soil to mm-hmm. eat. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, I thought, okay, I, I left here and I could have done what I want, everything I wanted. And that's also, that could also be, like you're saying, the Canadian mentality where mm-hmm. it's, okay, we'll, we'll just, we don't want to step on anybody's toes. Sure. So, you know, when I was at the, you know, at the top of the, I was on a pedestal, nobody wanted to step on my toes. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand when I got over there, that doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore. For so sure. that, and that hindered me because it was a learning curve. But mm-hmm. fortunately I was able to learn going forward in, 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 you know, my professional career. That's something that you adapted or, you came up in American culture, mm. so it's not the learning curve was a little. Yeah, I mean, you have these these AAU feeder programs, where you know, essentially, you know, coaches are stuffing money into these guys' pockets. They're they're bred to be the man. Mm-hmm. They're bred to be, essentially, you know, Division One athletes who are going to the NBA, and they're catered to that from a very young age. And Canadians, I think, at the time, you know, in in the Sacre era, in in the Shep and I era. Mm-hmm. Canadians were kind of bred to just be Division One athletes to get there. That was like the thing. If that you went to the cool, States, yeah. it's like, oh, we're on the map now. Yeah. As opposed to America was like, you know, this guy, you're going to be the number one scorer in college. You're going to be a first round draft pick, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And if anything less, that's that's not the goal. So The goals um, were set different. For sure. The for goals sure. were set way different. Yeah. If we had left, I remember leaving or even guys that had gotten scholarships and people referred to them as a leaguer. Like right. That was a... That's that the term. Yeah. You're the man. Like you're a league. No, you you actually just went to to school. Right. Like in, in America, like that's that's standard. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't accomplished nothing yet. yet. So yeah. it's you know, it's just different mentalities and it's definitely shifting now with the you know, the success of the Canadian guys. Mm-hmm. And these guys these guys now understand they have a better support system, they have a better understanding as and well as well as a testament to the the um the better coaching and the knowledgeable, more knowledgeable coaching that, that they're getting and experiencing to say like, oh, this is this is not it. Like, going do you want? That's that's pretty much like going to high school. It's it's mm-hmm. just another step mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you have to take in in your growing process. For in sure. your growing process. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely changing. The the, the landscape is t- changing, and I guess if we want to take any credit, um, it's for you know being a part of that. Yeah, laying that blue. Kind of taking those those punches early. Taking those punches. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that you use the the metaphor of you know this is my chance to eat. Mm-hmm. That that's how you look at it on the court, and it it kind of makes sense to me that at a young age these players on the way up they get identified as the 
supremely talented ones and they're getting their pockets mm-hmm. stuff maybe with money or whatever it is and you but you could see how as a kid you play well someone gives you money and that just it incentivizes enhance, you. Yeah. It's, it's an incentive it yeah. enhances the hunger mm-hmm. to play well the next time and it it's a whole other question but it, it it makes you think you know maybe it's only fair that you know these kids are playing basketball and they they are being incentivized buy money because otherwise it's just the the parents or the coaches or the system that are making all the money mm-hmm. um i i want to throw in there about you know the the uh reputation of canadians going into basketball and i i have to agree with what you said it was like they're they're nice they're maybe a softer player and really it wasn't until steve nash to me that you you know you really saw a, a dominant canadian player but i think when it really turned around is Tristan Thompson, mm. who who I think is the first Canadian player who's in there as a tough guy. I, Am I right? I, I agree with you to an extent. I think even before that, and we I've said it before, we've harped on it before a bit, Denham didn't play in the NBA, but Denham Brown was tough as nails. Oh, yeah. I think like, that I guy right that now, for sure. whether he played in the 60s, whether he played in the 90s, whether he played right now, he would still be one of the toughest players um, on, on the court. I think that's that's also what probably you know held him back in a sense because he was a little too tough everywhere. So mm. you know, I, I think. And when that's, you say everywhere, you mean in all aspects of of basketball, all, all life? aspects of basketball, or even just you know something as simple as you know Ray Allen saying, "Let's go eat," mm-hmm. and then. No, <laughs> like, and that's it. Like, there's no. So he's just kind of. No, he's like a rebel without a cause. But you know, he's not even a rebel. It's just you are. You know, based on where you grew up, you are. You are who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you know somebody like that even saying, um, "Let's go to dinner." If you didn't come up and understand that, not that doesn't mean I'm not hungry or come to eat because you're hungry. That means come to eat. Come to sit down. Let's have a conversation. Come to sit down. Let's get to know each other. Come to sit down. Let me show you how to navigate mm-hmm. this this landscape. And somebody like that. Is like, no, it's done. Yeah. Cold. Yeah. But Tristan, okay, tough. Well, uh, if Ray Allen is ever looking for someone to have dinner with, and maybe <laughs> maybe talk that. basketball or talk art, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm I'm available to hang out and have dinner any day. Why don't we? Um, well, we got a bit of time left. Let's get into some NBA news, and I guess. Uh, as we sit here on November 4th, there's one major story, and that is, when is this season going to get underway? And, and there's a lot of chatter that they want it to start maybe a little before Christmas, but certainly Christmas Day. Traditionally, Christmas is the launch day. It's not opening night, but it is the day where the world, where America really starts to watch the NBA. Do you, do you think it's going to happen? Can it happen? Is it super important that it does? Is is it bad for the game if they don't start till January fifteenth? Andy, what what do you think? I mean, I, I think we've talked about basketball being a business, and I think from a business standpoint, the sooner they start, the better. I just don't know how feasible it will be for the turnaround rate for these guys. I think the huge the huge concern among athletes as well as trainers and coaches is the fact that these guys are haven't got the the, the rest that they needed yet. I mean, the bubble was a grind. I mean, they were playing games almost every other day for a bit, and then the playoffs, they went deep in the playoffs. Yes, there are some teams who haven't played, but you have to protect your investments. Um, and if that means giving your guys a couple more weeks and, and losing, you know, 
potentially a couple hundred mil. I think in the long run, you have to worry about what it's going to do for the league um, and, and protect your players at all costs. And I think that they're going to get a battle on that front from from the players. Shep, a lot. I, Andy's right, but a lot of teams. I think ten teams, eight, ten teams haven't played a game since March. So some of those younger, lesser teams, they're itching to go. And yeah, I, I understand the Lakers don't want to get on the court too soon, but I, I, I feel like it's maybe only 10, 12, 20 players in the league who are who are going to say, no, I want to wait till February 1. I but those players run the league. <laughs> so... I think the Players Association and, and you know the rest of the, the execs or the higher-ups are going to come to a common ground because I think you know financially the implications there are what is going to take precedence whether it be from the player's side and the amount of money that the NBA risks losing um, I know if on the player's side if they don't start December what is it late December um, those checks start to get a little thinner yeah. so that's also a conversation that needs to be had and then on the, on the you know from Adam Silver and the rest of the, the execs the NBA risks, I, I believe, it, like you said, Andy, a couple hundred million yeah. um, in, in losses, right? Lost revenue. So I think there's a lot at stake there when you're looking at it from an economic standpoint, and that's uh, that's what's, that's going to take precedence. And I, I do think the bulk of the NBA, even though we, we hear the voices, like you said, Andy, the, the guys that quote-unquote matter mm-hmm. and have the impact, there's you know 80% of the NBA that when those checks start a lot to of those slip, guys yeah, need those checks they need those sure. checks so I understand I, I would err on the side of the NBA starting late December and mm. and potentially um, guys having to report back to their team yeah. in the next in the next couple of I'm weeks. sure we'll start if that's the case we'll start seeing more cases of load management right right and you know what I, look I, I think that's fine and you know producer Dan Wong might agree with me on this you know the soccer teams around the world. The best players don't have to play every single game. You you have to have a, a complete roster mm-hmm. that can go out there. I, I I think that in a season that might start a bit earlier than maybe planned, I think some load management is is fair. And I don't think guys should have to play four games a week in a potential seventy two game schedule starting you know basically eight weeks from mm-hmm. now. Well, that, that's also not a bad thing because. You know the, the roster, the number of roster spots had increased over the last couple, two years, I believe it was. So now you have your two-way guys, your ten-day guys, and so forth. So I think with your load management, this also gives those guys more of an opportunity yeah. to showcase their talent. So if you're looking at it from that perspective mm-hmm. and that lens, there, you know those guys should should welcome it. A double-edged sword. You have to worry about you know, especially coming from Adam Silver's standpoint, is is you know your superstars have to be on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's it's what everybody tunes in for. So it's going to be interesting to see how that's managed. Um, but ultimately, Adam Silver has done such a great job with the NBA and the bubble that, and, this, and the players, the players' union headed by Chris Paul, they they're, they're on the same page. I think they're, they're going to come to an amicable agreement. And I think that where they benefit there is potentially people are yearning for sports so much. Oh yeah, they'll take anything. They'll right? take anything. Yeah. So that need for the stars mm-hmm. now isn't mm-hmm. isn't so much as it would have been in a regular season. Right. But just to have live sport on TV, mm-hmm. they may be able to get away slightly with right. that. Yeah. Now th- there's going to be differences. Yeah. I don't think there'll be a G League season, so you are going to have some professional caliber players who are going to be looking for jobs. And look, coronavirus has not gone anywhere. There's going to be team infections. You might be looking at a situation where the teams carry 
17, 18 guys, and maybe you have a couple Just guys case, on the ro- right. constantly on the roster for practice purposes for to fill in in, in, in case of uh, load management infection, and maybe they can come in at under the the generally the legally accepted um, NBA minimum salary. salary. Yeah. So I, I think there, there there'll be some options. There's also you're seeing reports of things like um, play in playoffs for those positions seven to 10. So I, I think there's an opportunity to do things outside the box. Um, I, I think I, I think we're probably in agreement that the season's probably going to start by Christmas day, maybe a couple days before. I think there's just so too much money. Out of the, out there's, of the, yeah. yeah, there's too much money. Um, just this week, Toronto Raptors celebrated their 25th, uh, anniversary or the the twenty five year mark of their first game in the NBA. You didn't hear a ton about it. It wasn't really promoted that hard, but um, I thought I would bring it up here. One thing though that is casting a shadow on the on the Raptors is the Terrence Davis situation. Uh, we were able to talk about it a little last week because it, it it was just breaking when when we were recording. Um, we've had a week to let it process. Davis has been charged by New York police, several charges. They don't look good. Oh, wow. the, the Raptors are investigating it. Shep, what maybe what do you think the Raptors are going to do or what would be the right thing for them to do? Um, if he is, I know at this point he's charged, but if he is found guilty, I mean, that's an express ticket out of Toronto. For sure. Any which way you look at it, I mean, that's, that's something you can't really condone or you, as, a, as an organization, as a, as a your professional club, you have to set a me- send a message and take precedence. Um, you know, I also proceed with precaution not to dismiss the, the other party in, in, in this incident, which just to... You know, wait to see how it unfolds because I'm I'm not a detective myself, or or none of us are really. So I, I would wait for it to unfold and then. He was arrested. I mean, there it it, it it's to be hard some to, credibility it's, behind it. it. It's hard to imagine that this all those counts. It seems like there's damage to to the woman involved. I, I think even with the kid. I mean, yes, I'm a, obviously a hundred percent to innocence and to until proven guilty but to me the fact that he's arrested for this in another country he might not even be able to travel back and forth canada usa i mean it's a it's a really sticky situation here and the you know the raptors aren't going to have a lot of time to make up their minds as to what's going to happen with that roster yeah yeah i mean you can never condone any type of domestic abuse period um it's really unfortunate because of what a talent he was. Mm-hmm. I thought he showed a lot of promise. Uh, he was an excellent athlete. He brought a, lot, a different dynamic to the team when the starters were out, and I thought he had a lot of upside. Uh, but I know the Raptors will do the right thing. They'll do their due diligence, and you know they'll they'll see this thing out and vet it out till till they get a, a, a final uh, verdict. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, like I said, you know, no professional sports team, especially the way this is trending, and it's a different era. I mean, even even with domestic disputes now, not even any type of abuse, it's it's something that you can't take lightly. So we'll see what happens with it. You know, ultimately, I'm hoping for the best for all parties involved. But you know, I just uh, you know, it's unfortunate, to say the least. I I feel like um, we always we always end up talking about the Philadelphia 76ers and. 
you know, they, they've made news again recently because Daryl Morey is now in as the president of basketball operations there. He's already on record saying he thinks they can win a championship <laughs> with that core of, of Embiid yeah. and Simmons. Isn't he already trying to get James Harden? To well, Philadelphia is, is that is that the move? Is what what I mean? The East is becoming more and more competitive. The yeah. Nets are going to have uh, Kevin Durant in this mm-hmm. next season. The Bucks are going to add players. Boston yeah. has a ton of experience. It, can, can Philadelphia get there? Can Can Maury, I don't want to say what he did with the Rockets. They almost got to the yeah. finals, but. Are, are the Sixers on the up and up? I mean, look, having James Harden on your team is going to get you wins. It's going to equate to winning seasons year after year. And I think he's proven that. And, and the Harden experiment ultimately failed because you didn't get out of the West. So to bring Harden to Philly seems kind of redundant, in my opinion. Now, if you can get Embiid and Simmons to work together, ultimately find the pieces to, to complement them, and you have... Uh, uh, Doc on your bench now. I think that's already a winning formula. I don't think you need to do too much except shift the culture in a positive direction and try to get that key- team chemistry on on 100. What do you think, Shep? Last word on the Sixers. Uh, I, if, if Daryl brings the same philosophy that he did with Houston over to over to Philadelphia, it's a sinking ship because <laughs> you know you have. Oh. A ship that stays afloat, but it don't go anywhere. It don't go anywhere. Yeah. You have, you know, Embiid, that's one of the most dominant big men in, in the league and playing within the paint. I think he scores, you know, one about two points per possession in the paint, right? That's of the highest in the league. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you have, um, what's his name? Ben what's Simmons now. Ben Simmons that can't, you know, shoot the the ball into the ocean from the beat but he's still so effective but I, I, I i'm a huge i'm a huge ben simmons fan because i think i think he can he can change the game in so many ways in the right in the right name a better name a better transition player at six nine name a better on ball defender at six nine one through five Name a better 6'9 point guard with passing abilities like Magic Johnson. He's not improving year to year. I agree he's not improving his jump shot. I'll I'll say this. I think maybe the team that he's in and how the the makeup of this team Mm -hmm. isn't beneficial to his game, doesn't really suit his game. Okay. Now, you surround him with guys that can shoot the basketball. Yes, I think that that changes things. I think it changes changes things. So, um, with the makeup of the team right now, no. It's not really going to do much Mm -hmm. for them. I think the biggest asset they have is is Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, despite what his experience with the Clippers, I think just being having a young a young group like this and being able to motivate them and change the way that they they think and, and approach the game is what's really going to help them and take precedence. But yeah, it I, seems as though Brett Brown lost that locker room. Yeah, a couple exactly. years ago. For sure. Yeah. So um, I think they have some pieces that are that are tradable. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily keep this team together. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you're right. Like. Ben Simmons, he does have some value if you have the right pieces around him. Mm. And I, I actually would probably keep him before I keep Embiid. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, that is going to wrap up another episode of our show. Uh, extended thanks and gratitude to Robert Sacray, who is our special guest all the way from Spokane, Washington. Uh, thanks to our groovy producer, Mr. Dan Wong, who makes it all happen. Mr. Load Management. That's <laughs> D. Wonger. For Andy Rellins, for Javon Shepard, I'm Dan Gladman. Thank you so much for listening, and we are going to be back next week with our NBA Draft preview we'll see you then hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.